I'm uh, really starting to notice a trend when it comes to our good pal Parker Thune. Now, Parker here here recently seems like he's uh, all over the region in a different city every single Saturday, a different city on Sunday. Are you and Dylan Edwards best friends? It seems like you two have been hanging out with each other. I love that kid, man. Quite a bit. He's got such a great personality. Like, he's just. When you think about having fun on a football field, no one encapsulates that. No one personifies that quite like Dylan Edwards. That dude will toast somebody for a 40-yard touchdown. Turn around, and he's not talking smack. He's just dapping them up, cracking up about it. Like, I, it, it's so unique to see the way that he plays the game. I love him as a person and as a player. Wow. I think he is. I think he is outstanding. This and is as deep as I thought it was. I mean, you guys hung out in Texas a few weeks ago. Dylan Edwards, by the way, a uh, three-star running back out of the state of Kansas. Um, evaluation on Dylan Edwards: he fast. That's pretty uh, yeah, much he's, he's all fast. you need to know. He's small, but he's fast. Five nine, one sixty-five. But yeah, the dude five, is five uh, nine is generous. <laughs> yeah, you think five nine's pretty he's, generous on he's, that? He's five seven if you count the hair. I think. <laughs> Yeah, well, Parker saw him again. Where'd you, you saw him in Kansas this weekend, Kansas City, correct? Yep. So uh, Parker's been seeing him all over the place. And as I guess Dylan Edwards does, he had, what, Kansas State gloves on? Did he have some A&M stuff on? Yeah, he was wearing too? A&M wristbands. He had the Kansas State gloves at first, then he changed them to a pair of OU Jumpman gloves. Man, I... Did he represent all of the old Big 12 on Saturday or what? Yeah, just about, mm-hmm. yeah. He doesn't have an offer from Oklahoma State, I don't think. I don't think Baylor's looking at him. Those might be the only two at this point. But no, like I, I here's my thought on Dylan Edwards, and I know there are concerns about the size more so than anything else. I'm not concerned about it because but. look, he is small. Like I said, five foot seven. He is a solid five foot seven. There's not no absolutely no way that kid's five foot nine. He is five foot seven at most. And he's slight in his frame, especially the lower half. But, man, that dude can run like the wind. And my whole thing is, turn on the tape. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like when you were in Texas, he was the fastest player on the field with a bunch of really good athletes out there. Like, he is – he's the smallest guy out there, but he also stands out. Yeah. I'm not as concerned as I think others are about Dylan Edwards because – Look, nobody's planning to hand the ball to Dylan Edwards 25 times a game out of the backfield. He's not that type of player, and he's not going to be utilized as such. He is the closest thing I have. Well, okay, I'll take this back. I'll take this back. Him and Brennan Thompson, who was a four-star athlete out of Spearman, Texas, was getting recruited by OU for a while, ended up signing with Texas. Brennan Thompson and Dylan Edwards – are the two closest things I've seen to Tyreek Hill in yeah. terms of just sheer speed and elusiveness. I uh, I guess I don't really get overly concerned with a guy's size if he has Dylan Edwards type of speed. Now, if Dylan Edwards was 5 foot 7, 165 and he had av- average speed, Parker, yes, I he, he 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 can go play elsewhere. He doesn't need to be playing at OU. But if you have elite speed, 
I mean, it's been shown before, and no, not every single guy that's small in college football has worked out like Darren Sproles or worked out like Percy Harvin and Tavon Austin, but we have seen examples in the past where those guys are not only weapons, but some of the, you know, the biggest weapon on the entire football team. So if he's got the speed from what I've seen, the size, like, whatever, I'll, I'll take my chance there because, like you're saying, they're not going to line him up and hand it to him 25 times per game. He's going to have a certain role. I can recall a guy of similar stature by the name of Quentin Griffin that turned out to be pretty good at the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, Quentin Griffin pretty strong. Not not the uh, tallest guy out there, but uh, he was strong. All right, so there's still several crystal balls in for Dylan Edwards. They are all to OU right now. Nothing's really changed, but... We know about, what was it, about a month ago, he's supposed to come to OU. He goes to Arkansas instead. You get any better feel uh, on Dylan Edwards after this weekend? There's, or a, chance, there's a chance he's going to be back in Norman this coming weekend. And so that is a plus. Uh, that is something to get excited about. As far as where that recruitment sits at the moment, I know he's going to visit Texas A&M here soon. He's expecting to pick up that offer. He's been in deep conversations with that A&M coaching staff for quite a while now. It's hard to say, and I don't think I'm as sold on OU being the destination as I was two months ago. But by the same token, I do think OU has the upper hand right now. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Brent Venables actually coached Dylan Edwards' dad sure. at Kansas State. So Dylan Edwards' father, Leon, played at Kansas State from 1992 to 1994 when Brent Venables was an assistant there. Uh, that was also, I believe, the same time at which Bob Stoops was at Kansas State. So uh, the connections run deep there. That, especially given the OU staff's emphasis on relationships – is why I would still consider Oklahoma the leader in the clubhouse. He says he's going to drop his top school soon. He wants to be committed by the beginning of his senior year. I I would still say OU is the most likely destination. I don't think it's a sure thing. Who, who okay? Well, who's going to be? Is it Arkansas? Uh, is it Kansas State? Is it A and M? Like who, I think Kansas State's a big player. I do. Well, well, I mean, they're pitching him like, hey, we'll let you wear number 43 and everything. Yeah, if you be Darren come Bulls, up here. Be Deuce Vaughn. I mean, play for the same school your dad played at. If you were going to say A&M, and even if you don't say A&M, I was going to make the comment like, dang, we talk about recruiting rivals all the time. And, you know, Texas has been you know, OU's biggest rival on the field, but certainly in recruiting as well. Um, A&M is really starting to creep up here. Uh, they've always been a recruiting rival, but it seems like now more than here in the past, OU's been going head-to-head for some of those guys down there. And unfortunately, when you're talking about two recent defensive linemen, OU hasn't gotten the, the better end of that one. Let me say this. I actually, in my gut, I don't think Dylan Edwards is going to get the A&M offer. That's why I would still say OU's the more likely destination. Because obviously A&M enters the picture for any recruit. You got to put him near the top oh, because yeah. of, you know. Regardless, I I know how AM identifies talent. And I know the types of players that they go after. And I know some folks down there very close to the program. Look, when there's a guy that they really want, they move on him. They move on him. With Dylan Edwards, they haven't. And it's been a month plus now 
of staying in contact with him, jumping on Zoom calls, all that. He's visited the campus, and yet the offer hasn't come. Now, I know for a fact that there are certain prospects that have reached out to express interest in Texas A&M, and Texas A&M's offered them within a matter of hours because they watch the tape and they're like, okay, this is the type of guy we want. They don't slow play kids. No, they don't. Yeah. They that's, have no reason what you're to. Saying. They have no reason to slow play kids. Yeah, they, they really don't. So, so I, I don't know if Dylan Edwards gets the A&M offer. I don't. Well, he's still uh, one of my favorite prospects in the 2023 class. Don't really care about the size. I care about the speed. And uh, that dude has elite speed when we're talking about this class. Some good news coming out of this weekend for recruiting. Talked a lot about Peyton Bowen last week. He is a uh, four-star defensive back out of Denton, Texas. Currently committed to Notre Dame. But as Parker told us last Friday, has taken a ton of visits, a ton of unofficial visits to OU he was in town again with his little brother, Eli Bowen. Did Eli get that OU offer that may get Peyton over the top to commit to OU? He did. So Uh-oh. Eli got the OU offer, uh, tweeted it out Friday night after the visit concluded. And that, to me, is just another arrow in the quiver for OU as they continue to pursue Peyton Bowen. Here's what's interesting, Tyler. Oklahoma's spring game is on April 23rd. Notre Dame's spring game is also on oh, April 23rd. Oh, where's he going to be? Where so, are you going to be? There's I the th- deciding factor. I think factor. where Peyton Bowen spends that particular Saturday will tell us a lot. Yeah, no doubt 19 days until the spring game. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be a big one. That'd be a big-time flip. Um, to flip a kid from Notre Dame, who's got the number one recruiting class right now, got a lot going on. Did Marcus Freeman, did he coach the DBs at Notre Dame last year? No, what? he was the defensive coordinator. He, may, I don't think he coached. I, the I DBs, can't. No. Yeah, no, I, no, I couldn't no. remember if he coached the DBs or not. But for a defensive-minded, for a you know ex-defensive coordinator who got that job, Marcus Freeman was their ace recruiter, probably still their ace recruiter. That would be a big flip for OU. That'd be a that that'd be a big get, a especially really big because get. guys don't generally flip from Notre Dame. Yeah, like you go to Notre Dame with what a destination school that is, generally. You're not going anywhere. And so for Oklahoma to flip a guy from the Fighting Irish, I think is huge if they can pull it off with Peyton Bowen, and I, I think they will. No, that's, that's big news that uh, Eli Bowen, who's he's listed at 5'9", 165, a corner out of Denton Geyer, uh, 24-7 sports, doesn't currently have any stars on him. But, hey, Eric McCarty didn't have any stars when they made that offer either, and I think we're really excited about his potential coming out of McAllister. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see if they can get that big flip. That would certainly help create some momentum, Parker, at this time of the year. Recruiting momentum is is real. It is a real, real thing. And not only getting a four-star player to his caliber would be big, but taking him away from the number one overall recruiting class right now, yeah, that's that that's a big that's a big message. The spring game's gonna be big. What 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 if LT Overton just randomly showed up at the spring game? He might do you think he'd get booed? <laughs> how funny would that be? I want it surely he wouldn't get yeah. booed, right? There were some uh, upset people about how all that, that whole ordeal. And oh, a lot yes. of hot Under, takes understandably so. A lot of hot takes after that whole thing. It's oh, like Oh boy, what were the hot th- takes? Well, uh, you sent me one. I'm about to pull up what you sent me on oh, Friday. Oh yeah, yeah. The tweet from our uh, yeah, our good friend Ian Boyd. It's just I use the term "good friend" very loosely. Yeah, it, it was just the take that OU didn't get LT Overton, 
So this is looking into the crystal ball as to why OU's going to struggle recruiting defensive talent under Brent Venables. Like, that is way reactionary off just one kid. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the same camp mm-hmm. as the guy who got on the text line on Friday and said he was ready to fire Brent Venables if Oklahoma didn't get DJ Hicks and Jordan Raynaud. In case you didn't hear the tweet, uh, Parker sent us to us on Friday. It says, the Overton commitment to A&M underscores how bad a time this is for Venables to take over at Oklahoma. His model emphasizes defensive line recruiting, and that's a tough scene right now. Riley and Grinch didn't need five-star defensive tackles for their approach. First off, how do you know that? So they, they just they, they didn't need five-star defensive talent? It looked like to me they needed five-star defensive talent by how many points they were given up to the, to the best offenses they faced on a year-in-year-out basis. That, that's a bad tweet on many levels, Parker. It's hard yes, to pick it's just it's one area of, of where it's of where It's an it's atrocious tweet. You can dissect that tweet and find probably 15 to 20 things about that tweet that just make no sense at all. But what would you expect from a person who calls the, whose Twitter name is literally special assistant to the special assistant to the head coach? Yeah. No, I mean, all that is right now is just trying to find a it's reason. It's propaganda. It's propaganda. Yeah, That's what it is. Like, you, you're, you're trying to find the reason why this isn't going to work out, and you make up crap like that. I Look, OU will get five-star defensive talent. I, they didn't get LT Overton, but if it happens in the 23 or 24 class, they'll get at least one, one guy. Gosh, I want to dox Ian Boyd now. I want to dig up all his off-season Texas hype tweets from a year ago because you know there were plenty of them. Yeah. Jeez. All right, text line, let's get involved here. I'm going to tease the upcoming segment. In the middle of spring football right now, what last week we did, you know, one guy you're buying right now during spring practice. Oh, boy. How about one position you're concerned with, one position that (laughs) you're not so concerned with right now? And we'll use some of the things we've been hearing throughout spring football to kind of give those opinions. But text line, get involved, 405-651-3439. More to come next right here on Locked In. Locked In with McComas and Thune right here on The Ref. Keep the interaction coming on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Plenty of text to get to, and we'll do that this segment first. Parker and I are going to share one position that, yeah, we're not concerned about. We like this position quite a bit with OU football. But maybe one throughout a handful of practices of spring football that, you know, we're not freaked out about but one that we're like, okay, this will be interesting to see how it develops. Parker, let's start with the not-so-concerned. Um, I, I don't think I was concerned about the running backs going into spring practice, but I was interested to see how it would shake out, how the newcomers would look. With this emergence of Javante Barnes, um, my thought from the running backs is, okay, maybe they're kind of a relative unknown I'm not, and you can bundle in all of skill position players for me, I'm not concerned about the running backs whatsoever. I think the running backs are going to be good this year. Got a chance to be the best core running backs in the conference this season. For me, the position group that I think I am most unconcerned about is actually the defensive line, which is weird to say, right, for a group that's losing three players to the NFL, all three of whom are going to be off the board by day two, probably early on in day two. But as I see it, what Oklahoma brings back between Jalen Redmond and Jonah Laulu, Ethan Downs, Jeffrey Johnson, 
what they've brought in and the ammunition with which they've reloaded, in addition to some of the incumbent guys that are going to get a lot more playing time now that Nick Benito and Perrion Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas have departed, I think there is a ton of talent on this defensive line, but I also think because of how well they're going to be coached under the direction of Todd Bates, you're actually going to see a better defensive line. You're going to see better defensive line play in 2022 than you did in 2021. Was the 2021 defensive line more talented? No doubt. No doubt. Sure, easily. No doubt. But you're going to see overall better defensive line play in 2022 than you did a year ago. Yeah, and I think to to really simplify it, you're right. I I think that last year's defensive line was more talented. And the few peaks – of what we saw from the defensive line last year, I'm thinking of the Texas game last year, right? That was probably the peak of the defensive line. I don't know if this year's defensive line is capable of that play, but what I do think this year's defensive line is capable of is more consistent play across the board. Because the the Achilles heels last year, Parker, uh, that D-line was, dude, it was up and down throughout the entire year. If I had to venture a guess... I don't think it's going to be as massively up and down as it was a year ago. They're going to be, for the most part, pretty steady across the board. You'll have some games that are better than others. That's that's natural. But I think I think you'll find better consistency. Um, I think you'll see better effort. Guys being in the right position. The right guys being out on the right field. Or guys being out there on the field in the right time. I, I think just that'll make a, 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 a really big difference. A really big difference. I'm not worried at all about that defensive line. And I think people are going to get to – people are going to understand very, very quickly how good at his job Todd Bates is. And I've said that with regard to recruiting several times in the past. I also think you're going to see it manifested in how well this defensive line plays in 2022. If there's one position group on defense, I would say even more so than the linebackers that I'm not worried about. It's the defensive line, man. The Sooners are going to be strong up front. Make no mistake about it. Yeah, they will. And and going back to the running backs, I think Eric Gray is going to have his best year of college football. I just continue to hear continue to hear that, you know, people that have seen the team with their own two eyes, it's not that you oh, you ask about Javante Barnes and it's Oh, yeah, 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 I think I remember him. He looked good. It, it seems to be he's like one of the guys that's like popping out the most out of anyone else that, that, that's out there. Superstar <laughs> status. I mean, seriously, it's, it's there. And if Javante Barnes doesn't work out this year, which by all accounts, there's a strong belief that it will, you still got Eric Gray, you still got uh, Marcus Major, you got Tawi Walker coming in. Like, you're, you're going to have. Dudes, they're going to be very deep at that position. Now, do they have a superstar? We'll see. We'll see if they have a superstar, a legit number one guy, a legit running back that's the best player in the Big 12. But that that position's got got capable dudes back there, Parker. I'm not not concerned with the running backs. So what are you concerned with, Tyler? <sighs> I, linebacker. Now, I'm not overly concerned about linebacker. I think that linebacker will just be they'll, – they'll be good. I, I don't think that, you know, it, it's going to be the star of the defense this year. But when you're talking about bringing back 12 starts, I think is what they have from last year, how complicated this defensive system is to pick up, is there potential there? There's no doubt that there's potential there. And a lot of that potential there is young talent that we're waiting to see blossom, including a Danny Stutzman. 
I, I just, I'm worried it's going to be a little bit more of a work in progress than some of these other positions once the season gets here. But again, we got a long way to go. You want to know the position I don't think anybody's talking about that I'm actually quite concerned about? Um, Kicker. Mm, yeah. Okay. Kicker. Because, look. Hey, if that turns out to be the biggest concern, OU will be okay. Yeah, but, you say that now, but special teams cost OU in a big way in 2021. And obviously, we remember the fumbles in the return game, and you remember the, the returns that weren't with Mario Williams and Eric Gray seemingly fair catching every single kickoff. But also recall... Gabe Burkich missed two field goals against Baylor. Those loomed large at the end of that football game because what was a two-possession game could have been a one-possession game in the closing minutes if Burkich had been able to hit those two field goals, which were both very makeable. So we've seen special teams bite the Sooners in the past. Now, the reason I am so concerned is just because what I have heard from people close to the program – regarding Zach Schmidt is not outstanding thus far. Oh, great. Uh, and <laughs> you don't have a scholarship kicker on the roster right now. That's the other thing. Let's go for two Schmidt, every single time. Gavin Marshall, both of them are walk-ons. Josh Plaster has made the transition from kicker to punter. So you have two kickers right now. If it doesn't work out, if Zach Schmidt doesn't pan out, you are down to a walk-on true freshman in Gavin Marshall. You probably thought you were going to have Burkich for this next year. Which, I mean, that, that was a fair assumption. It's yeah. not often a kicker decides to forego eligibility to enter the NFL draft. Text line says, concerned about O-line and quarterback. O-line has to be more consistent. Haven't seen DG play at this level and no experience depth behind him. Well, so far throughout the spring, Dylan Gabriel's looked really good. So I'm not concerned about quarterback whatsoever. The offensive line, tell me what you think about this. Okay. Because apparently this offense is going to go fast, dude. Yeah. It's going to ha- it's going to have the ability to go super up-tempo. Yep. And I wonder if the ability to go super up-tempo, how much that's going to aid the offensive line snap in, snap out. You know what I mean? Because – they're going to be conditioned as an offensive line to be able to go really fast. Yep. It's hard as a defensive lineman if you're not conditioned to, you know, fire out the football that many consecutive plays in a short amount of time. Uh-huh. I wonder if something we're not talking about this O-line being better is the pace that this team's going to play at. Because I think that that could definitely help that group. Yes, and I also think that what they've brought in – and McCade Mattire at the left guard position, he's going to be crucial. I'm intrigued to see what happens with Tyler Guyton. And then I think this could be a big year, a prove-it year for Wanye Morris. Especially, he needs to have a big year. Especially now that Jerry Schmidt is running the workout regimen once, once again. I don't think there is a group that we will see take more of a jump last year to this year than offensive line. I'm scared about defensive back. I know there's talent back there and good coaching, but we haven't seen good and consistent defensive back play in 15 years. I'll believe it when I see it, especially with the complexities of this defense and the stress put on safeties. Need some transfers in that room to step up. That's from Peyton. You concerned at all about defensive backs? Jay Valai seemed uh, pretty excited about it. I or optimistic, I, I should say. I think I I'm kind of in the same boat as Peyton there. There's no ostensible reason to be super concerned, but I'm also just like, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Because I've talked myself out of Oklahoma having issues in the secondary for years and years and years, and every single year 
they have issues in the secondary. Sure. Doesn't matter what kind of talent they've had. Doesn't matter what kind of depth they've had. It has consistently been a problem for Oklahoma. Yeah, deep balls, um, that's something that's been going on for a while, one-on-one coverage down the field. It's gotten better here recently. It wasn't, you know, hasn't been as bad as it was in like 2017 or 2018. But Parker, I, I think a lot of the issues for the defensive backs has just been tackling in the open field. And I know that that sounds as as basic as it can get, but these defensive backs have got to do a better job of tackling in space because we've seen many teams in the past just say, all right, these dudes are small, they can't tackle, we'll just throw a bubble out to our wide receiver and give him room in the open space. Heck, that's what Texas did the very first play of the game last year, and it uh, went for a 75-yard touchdown. They've got to be, this goes for the entire defense, they've got to be a better tackling unit, though. That's my biggest concern with the DBs. Well, and I I think tackling is actually going to be coached and practiced well, much yes, more so it than is. it was. Under it the is. And I'm not sure how widely known that all is in terms of what they did and <laughs> perhaps more accurately didn't do as far as tackling, but... That's going to be an actual emphasis in practice, much like special teams. No, not worried at all about linebacker concerned at O-line and D-line. O-line and D-line were my two main concerns uh, coming into the spring. Um, and I don't really know how much I've changed on both of those. Maybe a little bit more optimistic on the O-line, hearing it the, the pace that they can play with. Um, but I... There, I think there's three positions, Parker, and I know that I said linebacker for mine. That's you know kind of picking up the system, not a whole lot of experience there. But I think there's three positions right now where it's, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. I think the O-line, there's a lot of feeling that way. Like, they've been good in the past, but not so much here recently. I'll believe it when I see it on this O-line. O-line, D-line, and secondary, I think, are the three spots where it's like, okay, I hear all the good talk, but... Once the season comes around, we'll see if we're right about those three positions being a whole lot better than what they have been. Yeah, I, I'm confident that the O-line is going to get better. I'm confident that the D-line is going to be even better than it has been in recent years. And it was pretty good last year. It was really good in 2020, as a matter of fact. Uh, I do think it's going to be more productive, even more so than we saw when you had those stars on the front line. Perion Winfrey, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, etc., uh, as far as the secondary, that is kind of the one group that I'm not going to talk myself into hyping up because, again, <laughs> I do the same dance every year, and I'm not going to do it again until I see with my own two eyes that there is improvement in the secondary. My major concern is who are the defensive playmakers going to be? Hey, that's that's a great question. Who are they going to be? Are there going to be legitimate defensive playmakers? My vote would be yes, but if you're asking me who they're going to be, Parker, i got like a handful of names I can list. I know you're going to say Ethan Downs. I know you're going to say Ethan Downs. Dang right I am. I'm, um, I'm hopeful that it's going to be Jalen Redman, that this is the year of the Jalen Redman up front on the defensive line because if I could handpick anyone for it to be, I – I want this defense. I want this defense to have a disruptive defensive lineman. And to me, right now, Jalen Redman is best served to be that dude. I think a lot of guys could be that dude. To be honest with you, I think Jonah Laulu is going to open some eyes 
I'm really excited to see what he looks like in full speed at the spring game. That's one of the guys I'll be scrutinizing very closely. Uh, text line also wants to know how much time does J- Jeffrey Johnson have left? One year. One year. One year. That's it. Yep. So make the most of it. Yep. One year rental is uh, basically what you're talking about. Yeah, that's the case for both him and C.J. Colden. Uh, T.D. Roof only has a year left. Trey Morrison only has a year left. A lot of a lot of these guys that came via the portal are one-year rentals for Oklahoma. Yeah. All right, keep the text coming, 405-651-3439 on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. More football on the other side, locked in with McComas and Thune right here on the ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune inside the Brown O'Haver Studios. Oh, you had uh, media availability earlier today. Here's what your boy Ethan Downs said. Ooh, we got to hear from... Ethan Downs. He said, quote, The coaches last year, great coaches, phenomenal. But it was very win-based. We grew together based on the ups and downs. But with this team, the coaches bring in such a character culture, and they say character comes first, all the winning comes after. End quote. What do you think? (laughs) Ethan Downs throwing a little shade. Think so? Whether he meant to or not, I don't think he was doing it intentionally. He did say the coaches last year, great coaches, phenomenal. But Uh there's always a but. But it was very win based. I'm looking forward to Ethan Downs' pressers over the next few years. He's a very well spoken human being. How many? uh, How many are the, the the questions that are asked right now to the players? How many of the questions are fishing for the difference from this year? Every single one. Every single one. There is an angle like that for every single question. I guarantee. Guarantee that is baked into the pie. And it's hard not to ask that because I think we are all all curious of, okay, well, if it's so much better now, what was it like last year? And I think slowly but surely we're getting a real glimpse into how it was before. And what we're seeing now, everyone's like, yeah, this is a – much, much needed needed change. But we are we are getting a look into what it was previously. I think it's going to be that way for the whole rest of the spring. I think come the fall, it'll probably have died down and blown over a little bit. But in the spring, man, it's a, every single question is going to boil down to how is this different? There's yeah. going to be some element of that dichotomy contained in every single question. Text line says, uh, the saying used to be in recruiting, if you finish second, you also finish last. But now with the portal, finishing second doesn't seem to be so bad all the time. Depends, though. It depends on why you make your decision to the other school. Because as we talked about last week, you know, there's a joke out there. Ah, well, we didn't get Lebius Overton. That's all right. He'll be in the portal in a year or two's time and – We'll get him the second time around. Maybe, it, I mean, I'm just not so sure if you make a decision based on NIL that Britt Venables is going to be, you know, welcome you with open arms in a year or two's time. If you make that decision based on that, and then look, we'll see. Operating under the assumption that LT Overton's decision was based on NIL because I don't want to speak out oh, of yeah, turn yeah, and say yeah, it yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. was. Sure, sure. Uh, I think, there. no, there is a stark contrast between that type of situation and a situation like you had unfold with Gabriel Brownlow Dindy. Gabriel Brownlow Dindy's decision wasn't influenced by NIL. It wasn't. That was not a decision that was based on money at all. He committed to Oklahoma because the relationships were the strongest there. 
when the Sooners let Calvin Thibodeau go, the relationship there was gone. And he went to his second choice. Right there, like, guy didn't even have to hit the portal for you to see why finishing second can be so impactful on the recruiting trail these days. Because if you have a coaching change late in the cycle, boom. If you're not comfortable with the new coaches at the institution you're committed to, you're looping back around to the first school that was on the outside looking in. That's what Gabriel Brown Lodindy did. But looping back to my original point there, I think that there's going to be a stark discrepancy with regard to that type of situation if a kid like him were to hit the portal than there would be if a kid like Quinn Ewers were to hit the portal, for instance, because when Quinn Ewers hit the portal, it wasn't any secret sure. that it was just going to be a bidding war and he was going to go to the highest bidder. Yeah. And if you make your decision based on, on NIL in the first place, like Quinn Ewers did, it's going to be same song, second verse. When hey, you hit the th- there will always be a spot for those kids. Yes, <laughs> there a, will. A, It'll so, usually be Texas A&M. Yeah, or, or the University of Texas. Like, There's always going to be a spot for those kids, but not everyone wants to play that game, which I appreciate. Uh, someone asking about Micah T's recruitment, where it stands at the moment. Is he willing to play defense? I think I read a story earlier today that he's fine playing uh, offense or defense, kind of w- whatever, at OU. He'd prefer to play wide receiver. I would guess so. Um, the deeper we get into that recruitment, Tyler, I am more convinced that kid is actually wide open. You were so sure about that a month ago? Two months ago for sure. But why has this dramatically changed so much? Because if we were talking about this 2023 recruiting class three months ago and we say, okay, who's the surefire guy, you, you would probably say him. Because because you, of the OU ties and everything. Yeah, else. you look at it. You look at all the ostensible factors. Micah Tease's brother walked on at Oklahoma. Micah Tease's teammate Gentry Williams is going to be at Oklahoma. Micah Tease is close with several Tulsa area prospects, including Jaden Rowe and Robert Spears Jennings, that are going to Oklahoma as well, or already there. It seems as though everybody in Micah Tease's camp is pushing OU. And Micah Tease has always loved OU. So, I, I mean, that that offer, that OU offer, that was the one he was waiting on. So, to a certain extent, you kind of figured, okay, we we don't need to look beyond the surface here at all with this kid. Like, it's going to be a wrap. I don't think it is, man. And I, don't, I can't put my finger on exactly why that is either. That's the tough thing for me right now is I'm trying to figure out why – isn't it a slam dunk to OU? And there's no easy answer to that question. He should have, for, he made, for what we thought about him three months ago, you would think that by now he would have already committed at this point. Yes. You know? Now, I will say this. Part of it may be the fact that his brother, as a walk-on, didn't really get to enjoy the fullness of the recruiting process, didn't get to take all the visits, didn't get to relish the whole experience. Maybe Micah witnessed that and just wants to make the most of it all. And that's why, in my heart of hearts, I do believe that at the end of the day, Micah's going to circle back around to OU, realize where his heart has been all along, and commit to the Sooners. But right now, man, I, I'm just saying, you're not going to see Micah T's commit anytime soon. Like, that is not imminently on the horizon. And again, that in itself is really surprising. Yes. You know, and the deeper that this goes, the more you have to be concerned because is, is he the guy to make or break the class? No, probably not. But 
that's going to be a pretty tough pill to swallow, just the optics of it, Parker, if you're not able to land this in-state kid that has that OU ties that was waiting for this offer uh, you know, the entire time. He's a really good player. I don't think that he makes or breaks this class, but that'll be, optics-wise, I mean, that'll be a pretty tough look. And I'm sure the Cole Adams texts are about to come in right now oh on the optics of that as well. So now we forget throw that in there. there. There was a somewhat similar situation with Gentry Williams, and I think that's what's important to remember. Gentry Williams, everybody figured when he got the OU offer after his freshman year. Okay, well it's OU. He didn't commit till October of his senior year, so there's some precedent in this regard for this type of approach to the recruiting process. It isn't to say that Oklahoma is going to lose the handle on Michael on Micah Tease, Excuse me. I just it it does get concerning when you start to see the process drag out like this, because there's always the question of what if, like Gentry Williams was really close to committing to USC last year, Tyler he was really close, a lot closer than a lot of people realize. Yeah. So, what happens if Mike Atiz gets to that point and he actually decides to commit to Clemson or Michigan or Notre Dame or whoever the hell it might be? All right, we got one final segment coming up next on Locked In. This will surprise you coming up next. Apparently there's a uh, quote-unquote quarterback battle going on at USC right now. No! I know. I roll emojis. Shocking! I roll emojis all the way around. More college football on the other side. Keep it locked in right here on The Ref. Final segment of Locked In. Locked in with McComas and Thune on The Ref. Uh, yeah, I mentioned it before the break. I guess Lincoln Riley laid out expectations for the quarterback battle between Caleb Williams and Miller Moss. So maybe it'll be like the quarterback battle between Austin Kendall and Kyla Murray. We're hearing two weeks before that both guys could see action in week one. What a joke. He just can't help himself. This? He can't, he can't help it. Uh, like, it's <laughs> It's comical. It's actually com- like this is comedy. This is straight out of a sitcom. He's going to do the exact same thing at USC every single year that he did at OU every single year, except for the one year when he actually had an actual quarterback battle. I know. I have watched Caleb Williams and Miller Moss on the same field. They were at the Elite Eleven together. There's no comparison. No, nor nor should they be. I don't know what he's Miller trying to Mo- get Miller here. Moss is a fine quarterback. Caleb Williams is ten times better. Well, but there's no battle. It, it it's also like you know drafting a quarterback in the NFL draft in the first round, Parker, or signing a guy to a massive deal in the offseason and free agency. Like depending on how much money or how much investment you have in a guy, you are forced to play him regardless. And with as much money as Caleb Williams got via NIL, and how much like. He, there's no decision here. Like you have to, you have to play the guy. Right? So to 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 think that there's any sort of a battle here going on right now is I, I don't know. Caleb Williams mm-hmm. did not transfer to USC to ride the bench. Muleshoe told Miller Moss that he was bringing Caleb Williams in. I don't think it was a secret to Miller Moss that Caleb Williams was and is going to be USC starter in 2022. Hmm. Uh, uh, Watch, watch the USC media believe this. Watch them fall <laughs> for it all. Watch the LA Times and whatever other West Coast media outlets actually cover USC football. Watch them all jump right along with the hype bandwagon on 
the quarterback battle at USC. Text line says, uh, honest honest to hear, or uh, relieved to hear him announce that because it just shows he didn't change at all when he left. Makes me confident he won't be successful over there. Good point. No, he hasn't, he hasn't changed. He won't change. Hey, he's too stubborn to change. That's why he left Oklahoma. I'm uh, doing a little bit of an experiment here, and I need your help. I need okay. the text line's help. This is going to extend into the rush as well. But, Parker, like, imagine like you're looking right at me. I don't have a picture in my hand, but imagine I'm holding a picture of a bird's-eye view of the OU football stadium, okay? Sure. And, I, and if I pointed at that picture and say, hey, what do you call this place? What do you call it? The, the stadium itself? Yeah, yeah. What do you, like, how do you reference, like, what do you call it? Owen Field. You call it Owen Field. I call okay, it Owen Field. Okay. Yes. That's what I was curious about. Because it has, like, several different names. Have you noticed that? And not one go-to name that everyone uses. Do people say Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium, which is such a mouthful? Do you say Owen Field? Do you say the Palace? The Palace on the Prairie? Memorial Stadium? I just was interested what... The stadium? I feel like I just say the stadium. <laughs> How do people reference the place where OU plays football? Because isn't it weird there's just not one? I feel like you're probably in the majority that says Owen Field. It's the easiest to say. It's the most historic, I guess, of the two. But there's not just like one common name that everyone refers it. No, there's refers not. Refers it as. Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium is just too many it's syllables. Way, way too much. All right, that'll do it for Parker. The Rush coming up next right here on The Ref.